So this series, we're looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Now this Gospel doesn't read like a dry history book. It's written in the present tense and it illustrates clearly that Jesus is not simply a historical character but a living person who has things to say to us today. Now you may or may not have noticed the station and train theme. So let's go to a station and find out what that means for our sermon today. There's a number of different approaches you can take when you're boarding a train. There's the planned, organised, methodical approach. You pick your spot on the platform, you stand at the front and you're ready two minutes before the train pulls into the station. If you're a seasoned traveller, you will have stood exactly where the doors are going to open. I used to marvel at those people when I travelled into London for work. Then there's the maverick, daredevil approach. You stand at the back and you push your way forward as soon as the train arrives. This just adds excitement to your journey. Then there's the wait and see approach. You wait until others are on the train and then you assess where there is room. The downside of this is you could end up wandering up and down the platform looking a bit lost and then missing your train. Then there's the maybe I'll wait and see and see if there's another one approach. This is the laid back approach to travel. It's really not recommended when you're getting a train from Newmarket because the next one won't be for an hour at least. So which one do you relate to? Which is the way that you would get onto a train? In the same way that there's a number of ways of boarding a train, there are a number of ways that we can approach God. And that's what we're going to look at today. First, we're going to hear from Clara. The first reading is taken from Mark chapter 7, reading from verses 24 to 30. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone and her daughter lying on the bed. So as we've just heard, Jesus has been spending a lot of time ministering in the Jewish provinces. He'd spoken to great crowds. He was exhausted. He heads to Gentile territory where he's hoping for a bit of rest. But this plan doesn't work. A woman hears about his arrival and boldly approaches him on behalf of her daughter. This woman, she's a Gentile. She's living under the shadow of an unclean spirit. She would have known that she had none of the correct credentials to speak to Jesus. According to the standards of the day, she's unclean and therefore disqualified to approach any devout Jew. But she does it anyway. This woman has guts. She's the equivalent of the maverick approach to boarding a train. She just barges on into the house. She doesn't take no for an answer. So what causes this sudden surge of boldness? There are different types of people in the world. 
There are cowards. There are regular people. There are heroes, all types of heroes. And then there are parents. No matter what type of person you are, naturally, if your child is in trouble, you will rush in to save them. This natural parental instinct is what drives this boldness in her. (laughs) So on the face of it, Jesus' response might seem quite rude. We're a nation of dog lovers in today's society, and Henry often sits at the table expecting a treat, which he usually gets. But in New Testament times, calling someone a dog was a terrible insult. The Jews would often call the Gentiles dogs. However, Jesus isn't being insulting here. He's using a parable. The word he used for dogs really means puppies. He's using something the woman understands. Family dynamics to explain how his ministry is structured. The children eat first, and then the dogs under the table. Jesus was sent first to Israel to show them that he was the fulfilment of the scriptures, what we now know as the Old Testament. And only after his resurrection did he tell his disciples to go into all the nations. He's not insulting the woman, he's just explaining that first he's going to Israel and then to the Gentiles, the other nations. But this bold lady doesn't give up. If it was me, I'd have been tempted to shuffle off embarrassed at that point. But Jesus has given her a challenge and an offer and she immediately understands. She replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's saying that she understands that she's not a Jew. She has no place at the table, but she recognises there is more than enough on the table to go around. She needs her touch from Jesus now for her daughter. The woman doesn't do either of the things that we might have been tempted to do. She doesn't respond in anger at being spoken to rudely. She doesn't get discouraged to take up his offer. If she'd done either of those things, she'd have missed out on what Jesus was able to do for her. Instead, she replies with an amazing insight and assertiveness. But not in the way that we might today. We're very good at standing up for our rights based on what we deserve. The woman is not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. But she's asking, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. So what's the message for us? Well, there are two ways that we risk missing out on the opportunity to let Jesus into our lives. We can either be too proud, have a superiority complex. We think we have it all under control and we have no need for Jesus in our lives. Or we have an inferiority complex where we think that we are worthless and not worthy of God's love. But the boldness that this woman had is not a requirement to approach God. And we'll see that in our next passage. So the woman approached Jesus boldly, with confidence. It was a deliberate act. However, sometimes an encounter with Jesus is different, almost accidental. One day he was just walking down the road and he encountered this man in need. Let's hear what happens as Clara reads our next scripture. The second reading this morning is also taken from Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. 
and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephrathah, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosened and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all these things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So Jesus deals with this man very differently. With the woman, he's forthright, weirdly cryptic. And with this man, he's personal, gentle and very sweet. So Jesus performed many miracles, and mostly without strange rituals or incantations. But in this case, he performs a number of physical acts with the man. He puts his fingers in the man's ears and on his tongue. Why? Not because he needed to summon up the power, but because the man needed to know what was happening. That man couldn't hear or talk, and Jesus was using sign language to explain what he was going to do. He also took him away from the crowds. He could have used the opportunity to demonstrate his power, but he didn't. This man had likely been a public spectacle all his life, and Jesus refused to let this moment make him a spectacle too. So as well as connecting physically with this man, Jesus also connects emotionally. It says that Jesus looked up to heaven, gave a deep sigh. That's better translated as moaned. A moan is a sign of pain. Jesus was identifying this man with with this man in a deep and real way. The word that Mark uses at this point when describing the deaf man is moglilalos. It's also used in Isaiah. It's the only other place it's used in the Bible. In Isaiah 35, verse 6, it says, Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. So the people seeing this reacted to the healing with amazement. God had come just as he promised. But Jesus wasn't the Messiah they were expecting. He hadn't come with his sword raised, ready for a fight to take power. He isn't taking over the world, he's serving it. So what does all this mean for us? Well, there's no right way to approach God. He'll meet us where we need him to. All we have to do is accept the offer. As we look through the Bible, we see many different examples of how Jesus met and interacted with people in all sorts of different ways. There are examples of people seeking him out, like the woman in the first passage, and then there are examples of him making the first move, as he did with the deaf man. And Jesus often had conversations with these people. Sometimes he initiated that conversation, and sometimes it was the third party who initiated it. Jesus struck up a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. She would not have dared speak to him first. He was a man and a Jew, and it wouldn't have been appropriate. Yet once that conversation started, she was amazed to find that he knew all about her and her sins. And as a result of that conversation, her life and the lives of many of her friends were changed for the better. In Matthew, Jesus was approached by a rich young man. He wanted to know how he could enter the kingdom of God. The young man didn't much like the answer he got. Jesus told him that he should give up his wealth and follow him. Jesus wasn't saying that nobody can have wealth, but rather our priority should be following him and not following money. And we heard the other week about the woman who fought through the crowd just to be able to touch the edge of Jesus' cloak. 
She needed to be healed from the bleeding she'd experienced for many years. She didn't know how Jesus would help, but she had faith that he would. So where did these meetings take place? Well, Jesus often encountered people in their workplaces. In Matthew, we read how he met James and John. They were fishermen and they were mending their nets. He simply called to them and asked them to follow him, which they did. In John, he meets a lame man who is sitting by a pool. He's been lame for many years. He would have been begging as he sat there, waiting for someone to help him into the pool so he had a chance of healing. Jesus simply told him to pick up his mat and walk. And in that moment, he was healed. And Jesus also met people in their homes. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, not the most respected profession at that time, and he was taking more than he should. He climbed up a tree so he could watch Jesus passing by. That might have been so he could see better, but also perhaps because he didn't feel quite right about coming face to face with him. But Jesus stopped underneath the tree, called him down and announced he was going to his house for tea. At that meal, Zacchaeus heard the truth, recognised his sins, asked for forgiveness and was changed forever. So how do we relate to God and where have we encountered him? It might be that you met him many years ago and accepted him at that point. The point of this message for you is that God knows we're all different and relate to him in different ways. We've seen in the two passages today that Jesus dealt with the two individuals in completely different ways. He knew all about them. He knew what they needed to hear and how they needed to hear it. He wants us to know that he sees us as individuals, not a generic lump of Christians. Don't ever feel like you're lost in the crowd. God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. At different stages in our lives, our relationship with him may change. So when I became a Christian as a child, the relationship was very simple, like a simple friendship. At other stages in my life, I've been angry and needed to let out my frustrations. At those moments, God was a big hug. He wrapped his arms around me until those frustrations eased. At other times, God has had to be more direct and gently guide me in the right direction. The key thing is that God hasn't changed. He's just dealt with me in different ways based on what I needed at the time. And as we deal with this situation, the one we find ourselves in right now, we might discover that we're relating to each other and to God in different ways. And that's not wrong. The important thing is that we continue on the train and keep the lines of communication open with one another and most importantly, with God. However, it might be that you've never been able to accept God into your life. Is this current situation giving you time to reflect? Perhaps there have been times when you look back, when you know that you've encountered God, but you didn't know what to do about it. Maybe a friend took you to church, or you met a Christian at work, and you were intrigued, but didn't take it any further. It might be that you were standing at the back of the platform, not quite knowing how to get on the train. And maybe you feel now that you arrived too late and you've missed the train completely. The good news is you haven't missed that train. It's not too late. God hasn't moved away. He's still there waiting to be part of your life if you want him to be. We read in the Bible that Jesus encountered people on a daily basis. He met with them. He lived with them. He healed them. He taught them and he forgave them. And he can still do all of that today. God will never force himself on us. The decision to accept him is always ours, but he's ready and waiting. So if you've never felt over to accept God into your life, perhaps you didn't feel that you would do it right, or you didn't feel you needed it, now could be the time. All you need to do is accept that you need him, and ask him into your life. 
There are no secret words. God just wants us to acknowledge who he is, accept that we've done wrong things and ask for his forgiveness. If you want to talk to someone about that decision, what it means, message us on this page or email newmarketcommunitychurch.co.uk and we'd love to be able to help. So we're now going to share communion together. Before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he shared a Passover meal with his friends, the disciples. He shared bread and wine with them and explained that it represented his body and blood that was going to be shed for them. The disciples still hadn't really understood what was going on, but Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He'd always known. This was the fulfillment of his rescue mission to the world. Once sin entered the world, right at the very beginning, it was impossible for man to have a personal relationship with God. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all our sins with him. For someone who was blameless and sin-free, that was a terrible burden to endure. But of course, that wasn't the end. He defeated that sin and rose again. Now the way is clear for us to have that personal relationship with God, the way it was always intended to be. So let's take this time to thank Jesus for all that he did when he died on the cross. The bread and wine, or for whatever you have to hand, are symbols of that sacrifice. A chance for us to take a moment to thank him for all that he did. If this is the first time that you've even thought about Jesus dying for you, then take this moment to consider what that means and whether you're ready to accept the gift and board the train. In a moment, we're going to hear the passage in the Bible where Jesus is sharing the Passover meal with his disciples, which will lead into our final song. During this time, reflect on what this means for you as an individual. If you have bread and wine or juice to hand, then share it with those around you. If you're watching this on your own, then as you eat the bread and drink the wine, know that you're doing that as part of something bigger, the church. We may be physically separate right now, but this simple act unites us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you want us to have a personal relationship with you, despite how unworthy we feel at times. Thank you that you've never forgotten about us. When you died on the cross, you took all of our sins on yourself. And as a result, we can have that relationship with you. And as we eat this bread, drink the wine, we remember that sacrifice and recommit our lives to you. Amen.